Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Bajani and me, Robert Kortnich. We are here for the next episode and we are going to talk about a subject that everyone loves. It's something that really excites them, which is GDPR. Oh my God. Suresh, who have you brought in for us today? I was actually out at a pub having a conversation with somebody and um, I said, you know what? You should come on our podcast because I think you've got some interesting views. And the only problem I've just realised that I haven't, we can't actually say his name because Ah, we haven't been given permission to release his name. And why exactly are we in this prison cell? Um, Well, we're talking about GDPR and I've heard lots of scary stories about things that can go drastically wrong. So I thought we should experience what it might be like if we... If we got it wrong. Yes. This is... This is this is a very small cell, though. <laughs> why, why is there only one bed and we're all sitting on it? Okay. So, he's the guy you met in the bar. You picked up in the bar. Um, do you want to introduce him? I can't. Do you want to introduce yourself without saying who you are? Uh, unless you give us permission to say who you are, but that's different. We haven't done that prior. I haven't kind of had that opt-in, but, you, you know. No, this is true. Uh, I'm the person that had four glasses of red wine in the time it took Suresh to have one gin and tonic. <laughs> that sounds like Suresh. <laughs> and he didn't even finish the gin and tonic. Yeah, yeah. So it's like... if, I didn't have, if I hadn't have done this, we wouldn't have this special speaker today joining us to talk to us about GDPR. Well, I'm I just really want to let you, you know that I, I did that for the team. So, so I do opt in. Uh, my name is Michael Moore and I'm head of compliance for Wirex Limited. Okay, I'm going to reach out into the bin of confusion mm-hmm. and uh, let's see what comes out. It's a metal bin as well, so we've got to be a bit careful with the metal detectors on the way in. And yeah, out. okay. So Michael, can you sum up what GDPR is in 20 seconds? Now that's a bit harsh, so you know what, I'll even give you an extra five seconds, but can you tell us what GDPR is in 20 to 25 seconds? No. That's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) That was was no time at all, was it? Damn, okay, 30 seconds. So yeah, I mean, it's, I'll say off the bat that obviously I'm not a data protection officer or a data protection expert. This is what I have ascertained over the last few months as the deadline for GDPR coming in uh, draws closer and closer. But in effect, it is a um, an initiative to ensure that the data that a company holds on an individual is kept lawfully. There's a legitimate reason for that data being provided and obtained, and it's not kept for any longer than is necessary. I think it's your turn to pull a question Let out. me put my hand into the bin of confusion. Could... Distributed ledger technology help with GDPR compliance? Well, I would say no. I would say blockchain technology is going to hinder GDPR. Hinder? Hinder. Because you can't delete anything from the blockchain. When you say you can't delete anything, do you want to be clearer? Well, I, I don't know if it can be. It, you, it literally can't be deleted. It's there. You know, it's the way the blockchain technology works is it's distributed amongst hundreds of thousands of devices and when you are looking to uh, extract the data it all comes to you at once to issue a deletion notice on that would not work ah so it's so kind of saying i haven't been i haven't really given you my permission to let other people know that i was involved in that that blockchain effectively yeah. yes yeah 
So the, the way blockchain works, as, as you said, is that the ledgers are update. And if you've got 10,000 nodes, there are 10,000 ledgers being updated every time a new block is it's built. created, yes. And that new block will hold data in it. Uh, and in relation to Bitcoin, obviously, it will update all those anonymous ledgers of people holding blockchain in their wallets. Absolutely. So if we got, you know, if, if, and if we look at this now, you know, with regards, regardless of the blockchain technology that's used for cryptocurrencies, you know, obviously companies are out there now developing blockchain technology for KYC and they're developing blockchain technology for medical records and so on and so forth. You know, when you get to that stage, you because you can't delete it, it kind of makes GDPR not irrelevant, but it's going to make it much more difficult to enforce because of the inability to delete the data. Yeah, but whilst you can't delete it, in my understanding is you can amend it. So you can, you can, so everyone will see the fact that you originally put in, for example, Suresh, that you were male, and then <laughs> you realised ten years on that actually you were not, and you changed it to you, but undisclosed. I, I like the way that you're pretending it's a third party when you talk about yourself, but you may continue. So people can update their records, they just can't delete what they've already said. Yes, that's true, but... Given that you have the, um, you know, within GDPR, the right to be forgotten, for example, how do you update your records to... Forget me. Yes. Ah. You're, that, yeah, Robert, that you're a lawyer. Come on, then. Yes, so, come on. So, what does forget me mean in the law? That's the question. I guess it's how GDPR... It's not how GDPR's you normally do it, where you pay off someone to say just... Shh. The, the key thing is, is what the right to forget will actually mean and how GDPR will be able to be adapted to work with the types of technology that are coming through. That's it. And I think, you know, right now, as most companies, as all companies operate, given that the, te the blockchain technology doesn't exist yet with regards to, um, you know, general personal information with yeah. regards to someone, the way that um, companies are setting up now and um, you know, developing policies and processes is in, you know, compliance with the current GDPR regulations. Hopefully they all get it done in time for the deadline. And when, um, when exactly is that deadline, Michael? I'm pretty sure it's May 25th. May the 25th. Yeah, which is not far away. But then, you know, we, we recently had um, some meetings with, uh, with some partners who are specialists in, in GDPR, and their estimation is that 70 to 80% of all companies are not going to be ready come the deadline. In their view, however... It could be said that as long as a company is able to um, display that they've taken actions to rectify their services and systems to become compliant with it, they should not fall foul of the ICO. Uh, That's interesting. In regards to that. That's ICO, not meaning the initial calling of everything, everyone. That is the independent. No, in, oh God! You've, the Information Commissioner's yes, Office. That's Sorry. The one. Yes. No. Sorry. You. you, you uh, I took the words right out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, pushing back on that, in my nerdy way, legal hat on, yes. shit. Um, I can't say shit. <laughs> sorry. Um, in my nerdy, put my legal hat on position, mm -hmm. uh, I, I was recently trekking through some terms and conditions, as you do, of, of competitors uh, issuing products. Yes. Uh, and... Under PSD2, we know there is a 60-day notice requirement to update terms and conditions. Interestingly, all the ones I looked at had not updated to PSD2, uh, to GDPR. So they're already past their 60-day limit uh, as per the 25th of May. So there is no way any of them 
can comply unless they've given their notices out already but not updated their websites. Well, let's check in with Jeff to see what the person on the street thinks. The man on the street. It could be a woman. So last time we asked the man on the street what he understands about the term GDPR. Turns out, not a lot. But the real question is what does the man on the street in his shop know about GDPR? As he's the one that's got to do something about it. Can I ask you to tell us your name? Sarah Blake, uh, Bella Blake. So um, do you have a mailing list at all? Um, yes I do, yeah I just email. Have you heard of something called GDPR? No. It's... I am so untechnical, it's unbelievable. My kids can't believe it, so okay. yeah, I'm probably not a very good person to talk about any of it. Right, my name's David Whitaker and I own Ingate Stone Wines. So do you have a mailing list at the moment? Not at this precise moment in time, although we do hold customers' phone numbers. Do you consider that a database? Um, I wouldn't consider it a database, but I'd imagine under the eyes of the European yeah. Union, I'd imagine it would be it would constitute a database. Mm. Yeah. Why would you not think of a database? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, because it's only really us that see. So the business is called uh, Gallivant Travel Agency, and my name is Helder, and this is Celia Limos. We keep a, um, a list of the clients that will give us their email number, but we will actually refrain from marketing uh, via email. That's just a, a choice that we've made right. based on the target audience we've got that have told us they don't like to be nuisanced by marketing email. And actually, in light of the new GDPR regulation coming in, well, it's amazing. I didn't even get to ask you about GDPR. You mentioned it. So, you know what you're doing. Well done. <laughs> the man on the street. It could be a woman. What is, what is quite interesting that I've experienced recently. So, I, I, was, I was part of the payment strategy forum that was involved in the input into the payment systems regulator. And there was a number of requests that came out of them. One of them was things such as um, confirmation of payee. Uh, and one of the solutions they're trying to look at is a way of saying, how can we confirm that we know the person we've sent the money to? And one of the obvious solutions was having a database where we would have everybody's sort codes and account numbers to know they are who they say they are, and this is this account number and sort code. But based on that solution, they can't do that based on GDPR. So it seems like any, in, in principle, any kind of database that's holding information about people where it's to verify them or, or becomes a major issue when it clashes with GDPR. Well, I think as well, though, with GDPR, you've got to remember that the right to be forgotten does not include any data which might be able to be used uh, as part of a criminal proceeding or investigation. Which could be anything. Which could, well, this is it. This is a this <laughs> bit is, of an escape channel. This, there. this is where companies have the you know have, will have their own interpretations as to what data that cl they classify as being relevant for any potential investigation. So, so I, yep, sorry. No, no, so, so, so the transaction data that you're referring to there, would that be useful in the police investigation, knowing the, the sort code and account number of where a payment might have been sent? Yeah, it's got to yeah, be. Yeah, it would, absolutely, so therefore, yeah. So therefore, you could, you know, again, theoretically, you could justify that that's data that I should not be deleting on someone if they send in a right to be forgotten request. So interesting, as an issuer, a customer says, I want to be forgotten, and as an issuer, you would say, no, because uh, I need to keep this data because it might be used in a in a in a financial investigation. I wouldn't say necessarily say that to them. 
I think within the terms and conditions, and again, this is from my interpretation, within the terms and conditions, you obviously have to say what data you're collecting and what it might be used for. Yeah. Now, whether or not you have to disclose, um, you know, anything that might be dis that might futurely be disclosed to as part of a criminal investigation. Well, you'd be tipping. You'd be tipping. Well, you could be tipping them off, but. You are you tipping them off if you just? I think. I think it's you're safe going to, to be... assume that somebody would know that. Yeah. You know, a you're not going to tell anybody if they're under investigation, and there's data you're going to hold on people that are going to that's going to form part of any investigation as well. But I think I think tipping off is once something's happened. Yeah. If you're telling them ahead of anything happening that we there may be a reason for us to hold on to this data, we've marked this data as potentially could be needed for criminal investigations. Therefore, that's the reason we're holding it. Telling them that before they actually do anything is not tipping off. It's only tipping off if you've actually had a suspicious activity report in relation to a particular customer and you've passed it on to the relevant authorities and then you go and tell them we've done it. That's tipping off. If you just tell them generically we may hold this information because it may be useful in the future if there is a suspicious activity on your report, that isn't tipping off. And let's say I didn't comply. What, what you know? What are the fines? I mean, am I going to get a warning, a little warning letter from someone? What's going to happen? I, I think it's fifty p in a packet of quavers is the fine, isn't it? Yeah, four, it's really cheap. Four percent of your annual turnover. Wow. Ah, okay. But it's four percent of your annual turnover per breach as well. Per breach. Per breach. Wow. So you know, for, for 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 example, if you if we have the same issue, that's found with twenty customers, that's eighty percent of our turnover in a fine straight away. Wow. You know, that financially is crippling to any business. That's dangerous. Yeah. But could I not say, well, actually, next year, we're not part of the EU. doesn't impact us. It's got nothing to do with us. So it's an EU Does fine. It doesn't matter. If you have a client base which um, uses your services within the EU, then you have to be compliant with GDPR, whether or not you're based in a country that is covered, that is where GDPR is, there's law or not. So let's say I've had a card because I'm a resident of Western Samoa. Yes. I've come to Europe and I've We used... know you are. <laughs> you, you did well to find an issue with Western Samoa, but carry on. <laughs> we've, got, we've got card programs there with one of our clients, actually. Um, so let's say we've come to, I've come to the U Europe yes. and I'm actually using the card there. Yeah. Are you saying that the fact that I'm using my cards and services uh, from something that was issued out of Western Samoa impacts me as a supplier in GDPR? Yes. Damn. This is scary. So this is a global... That's the thing. So you know, you, GDPR obviously stands for General Data Protection Regulations. Realistically, it's Global Data Protection Regulations because what business nowadays is so... Insular. Exactly. Got you. It's, there's, there, it's borderless, isn't it? It is. Wow. Damn. And I, don't, I, you know, I would say that, you know, is it well known enough outside of the EU that you know, there are ramifications for organisations that don't have an EU client base, but might have, um, you know, transactions EU, that EU data. EU data. Wow. So, Robert, I have a question for you. Me? Have the regulators really got this right? I mean, this sounds like a massive, massive, massive overkill. And I'll give you an example. I went to my son's piano recital two weeks ago. I was given a slip about GDPR that basically said, we want you to give us permission to allow us to contact you um, and it's in relation to GDPR and an explanation behind it to a children's school recital. I mean, this seems like a massive, massive overkill. And haven't the regulators just got this badly wrong because they don't even understand 
how people are going to do this, let alone actually police it? Well, the, the thing about GDPR, it is a regulation, which means it is automatically applicable in its fullest sense across the whole of, the, of, of Europe as a result of it being a regulation. And so it will come into force, as you say, on the 25th of May, and it will be in force equally across all states in Europe. The, the benefit of regulation is everyone knows when it's coming in and everyone knows what it is. The, the downside is that the individual countries don't have as much flexibility as they do on a directive to make it work more easily with, within, their, within their territories. So it is, as you say, a bit of a sledgehammer in, in parts. And I think it's all going to be about how sensibly people like the ICO, the Information Commission Office in the UK, and the, their equivalents across Europe actually implement it in a way to enforce it. Are they going to be using the powers they've got or are they going to be abusing the powers they've got? That is the question. Yeah. And I think as well, there's, you know, we've had a few conversations about this now where some of the directive is open to interpretation. Um, and again, it's subject to each company's interpretation or, or certainly the uh, consultant company they might be using interpretation of such you're not really going to know you've got it right until somebody gets reviewed and fined potentially and by the, exactly in which case you'll have case studies to be able to yeah. uh, work against i th i think it's a it's a work in progress thing i think it will come in on the 25th i think a lot of people won't be complying with it on the 25th but i think by the 25th of the following year we may have a bit more feeling as to how it's actually going to work in practice, which countries, as I say, are using it properly and which countries are abusing it to use it as a stick against yeah. some of their corporates. So, uh, you know, if I could do all this again, I'd go back, uh, go and do law school and actually train as a data protection officer because they are going to be able to charge whatever they want now <laughs> because there's, there's not enough of them to cover the number of companies that are out there. Remember you heard this first on FinTech Unplugged. Get a job, retrain, data protection officer, hundreds of them now. <laughs> or get a job as a, as a prison warden, because something tells me that if we stay in this place much long longer, enough, we're going to see a lot of people that we know in this space. There will be a lot of people hanging out with us. Yeah, and it's not going to be like the old no. sauna steam routine. Yeah, shh. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm Michael. I, I'm certainly not taking the Michael on this one. Boom, boom. <laughs> no, no, but thank you, Michael. We, I, I, I think that was a really useful session. And a word of warning to all of our colleagues is be careful when you have drinks with us. You just don't know what you're going to end up signing up to at the end of it. You may be on the next podcast. All right, ladies, that's enough of your fintech nonsense for one night. It's lights out. Bath time for you boys. <laughs> Thank you and good night. <laughs>